Welcome to another episode with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and the entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore in the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. The Market Dominance Guys, Chris Beal and Corey Frank, had a meeting of the minds this week with Mark Hodgson of Connect and Sell who proudly claims the titles of sales headcount multiplier and cost per meeting reducer. Chris introduces Mark as a learner, a student of the craft of selling and a delight to work with. As Chris says, with Mark, there's no bravado, no sales jock stuff. Mark is what's known as a long game player, spending his workdays building relationships with prospects, not pushing for an immediate sale. He credits fellow Connect and Sales salesperson John Jackson with being his long player model. As Mark explains John's sales approach, he talks to a prospect three or four times a year, and when they're ready to buy, they buy from John. The phrase, conversations matter, is the basic tenet of connect and sell, and Mark explains his adoption of it this way. It takes time to build relationships. I have that core belief that there's going to be value in the conversation. We're going to learn together. You can learn more about being a long game player in this week's Market Dominance Guys episode, When the Time is Right, the magic happens. Fantastic. We have a quorum, official quorum. Of course, last week, Chris, in the uh, last week's episode of Market Dominance, guys, a quorum was was won because uh, I was indisposed. So, But today, we have a real quorum. We actually have a guest, and that is uh, Mark Hodgson from Connect and Sell. And... Um, uh, me, Corey Frank, of course, and uh, the prognosticator of profit, the sage of sales, Chris Beal. But uh, Chris, I'm a little ahead of myself in my skis today because Mark's joining us, and it's not often that um, you know we can chat with somebody who is. Uh, you take Chet Holmes' pyramid, the market dominance pyramid that we've talked about so much, and uh, Mark is a living, breathing, W2ing his ass off example of somebody who lives on the bottom part of that uh, proverbial pyramid. And so it's good to welcome you to the Market Dominance Guys, Mark. I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to be here. You know, Mark, I got to ask you, you know, looking over your LinkedIn, your previous experience, you were VP of here and you were a sales director of this. But then when you get to connect and sell, you don't use kind of antiquated terms like that, vice president of sales, CRO, director, right? You call yourself a, a sales headcount multiplier or a cost per meeting reducer. So I think that alone endears yourself, uh, certainly to me and Chris, but of course we're biased because you're part of Connected Cell, but love the titles. And I think that ties into a little bit of what we're gonna talk about today, right, Chris? How do you kind of get and tap into that 11 twelfths of the market dominance pyramid or so, where the dollars live, where lazy salespeople don't go, in fact, when lazy salespeople see that pyramid, it's like the proverbial Darby dragons, right? Because they don't go that far down the pyramid um, to actually tap in to this uh, this blue ocean. So, Chris, how'd you end up tripping over a guy like Mark to join a company like Connect and Sell? And what makes a guy like Mark so perfectly aligned with some of the goals of Connect and Sell and how he approaches uh, uh, market dominance? Well, the alignment comes from some straightforward features of Mark. For one, he's tough, but he's pleasant. 
And dealing with me, you better be pleasant because I otherwise I'll be unpleasant and that's no fun at all. So that part works out. But the main thing is he's a learner. He's a, he's a student of the craft, uh, not just of sales, but beyond sales and has been since the first time we ever spoke. I, I recognize that like, OK, you know, we have a hard time at Connect and Sell finding uh, people who fit in in a sales sense because there's a lot of folks who are transactional and that's not very interesting. There's a lot of folks who are complicated and my, you know, my view, which is no solution should be more complex than the problem. And complicators like to aggrandize power actually by complicating beyond the complexity of the problem. And then they harvest the power differential between those two. And those people are also generally politicians and Mark is not a politician. Uh, you know, my intolerance for parasites. Yes. And so, you know, some of it's negative. He's not a parasite, which is what I find very handy. Uh, but, you know, this is this is a funny business because what you're doing is not obvious to anybody, even the people who are doing it, which is you're dealing with a future instead of just the present. Like think about all the intent guys, right? Zoom Info's out there right now selling contacts. They sell tons and tons of contacts. They're worth $16 billion, a public company. So how do they try to keep relevant? They add intent data. But intent data only tells you where the feeding frenzy is already going on. So it's like, I want to be there minutes before the feeding frenzy shows up because I sure hate to waste my time building relationships with people who are going to buy next year. That'd be crazy. Why, I want to wait to the last second and see if I can snipe this deal. Yes, right. Along Just with, along with everybody else who subscribes, right, Mark, to that same piece of intent data. Yeah, uh, you know. I mean, that's he's somebody that I call when I want to think things over, talk things through. There's not a lot of people who can tolerate that. So maybe that's the last feature is he's just plain tolerant of listening to me, which I've listened to a lot of market dominance guys, and I wouldn't be. So um, anyway, it's a delight to work with Mark, and he's also a guy who. Uh, you know, he moves consistently up the leaderboard. It's nothing, there's no flash, there's no like bravado, there's none of this sales, rah, 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 jock kind of stuff. I'm sure he's plenty manly, but he doesn't act like, you know, some sort of jock. And I like that. I'm a cerebral type myself, you know, a little bit of a wimp and a sissy who runs barefoot and stuff like that. And so uh, we do well together, right, Mark? I agree. And, you know, you know, it's funny, I, I'd like to, you, you, you talk about, the pyramid and whatnot and you know, moving up the leaderboard. I think that's the thing that people miss the most, right? You guys talk a lot about this, right? Chris, you talk about opportunities out there in the marketplace, people in the marketplace, you know, three-year placement cycles, there's 12 quarters, there's people out there in that feeding frenzy, what, 8.33% of the time that are out there doing business now and the scavengers fighting over pieces and crumbs and reducing their likelihood of success mathematically. And I think, you know, where success is really driven if for our customers too, not just us as sales folks, is below the water level. It's below the waterline. So the pyramid that's just poking out that iceberg, right? And I think that's the most important thing that, you know, I've taken from you, you guys, your episodes here, is the idea that you got to consistently build trust and it takes time, right? You mentioned the time factor. And I think that's the key that people miss. And it ties really well into market domination is that, yeah, you can do it at scale, but yeah, you need time. 
And really the blue ocean is that, that which is underneath, right? That you develop and you cultivate with trust over time uh, over your competitors. Because I think for me personally, my successes have come from the fact that it's taken a long time to nurture relationships until the time is right. And it may even be earlier than when the time might've been right, but I've been there to help them along and we've discovered along the way. So I think that's been the most sort of fascinating journey for me is to be curious about where they are and continue to, to build relationships with them until the time is right. And then the magic happens, right? Just happens. Let's talk, uh, let's talk a little bit about that magic. And as, as a refresher to those who maybe aren't familiar with the great Chet Holmes and the theory of market dominance, listen to our earlier episodes. But in essence, Mark, as you had alluded to, you have this pyramid and on the top of the pyramid, you have this three-ish percent of folks who are ready to buy now, they're in market. It's that time of their three-year buying cycle that they're raising their hand. And then you have another, what, six, seven, eight percent or so that they're open to it. And then you get the deep waters where you need the good tensile strength line. And there's 30% who of the market that's not thinking about it. 30% don't think that they're interested in it. And then there's 30% who know they're not interested. And you've made a living, you've made a career fishing in those waters and nurturing those, those little fish that turn into the lunkers over time. What's your secret in doing that? I'll give some credit to a colleague of mine that's been here with Connect and Sell since the beginning, John Jackson. And I heard very early on when I started here at Connect and Sell, John Jackson has thousands of people in his addressable market, right? His own little market he's looking to dominate. He just talks to them two, three, four times a year. And when they're ready to buy, they buy from John Jackson. And I, and I thought about that and I thought, wow, you know, it takes four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 conversations sometimes before the time is right. And you guys talk a lot about trust and that person, that buyer, that group, that company trusts you more than they trust themselves. And I realized John's been doing it for years. He's mastered that part of the ocean that no one dares dive down to. He owns it. That's his realm. And, you know, that took that to heart very early on. So for me, you know, it's about building a massive queue of relevant conversations and second conversations. And quite frankly, no one can get to them faster than I can. And no one can build more relationships because people only play that which they see above the surface. It's a low hanging fruit. <laughs> they pick up the apples that have fallen out of the tree. They dare not climb up and fill their bushel. That's interesting. You know what fights over the apples on the ground? In any farm, what fights over the apples on the ground is the pigs. <laughs> and it's not a pretty sight. When you look at Mark's approach, Chris, and you see that these little acorns are turning into big trees over time, if you, because you're living in a connected cell, certainly with how dominant you guys are and how dominant you are, particularly this year, the year that you're killing it here. What if you had, if I was a manufacturing, if I was in real estate, or if I was in software, and I had an entire team that approached it this way. I love your thoughts on that reciprocal effect, because I think that as sales managers, as sales leaders, we're not wired to coach our reps to process that way, to work that way that Mark is working, correct? Because I have the pressures of 
a month, a quarter, a quota, here's your dial tributes or what have you. So from a leader perspective, what are the long-term gains I can expect if I play long ball, if I play true blue ocean strategy versus red ocean? Yeah, what's so interesting to me, it has been for quite a while, and it was John Jackson and Sean McLaren who taught me this, is that the blue ocean is separated from the red ocean in time, not in space. That is, all you have to do is either go back in time, that is go back in their time to where the prospect is early in the process of even considering or even not considering, to uh, just go back there and talk to them in their time earlier, and the ocean's always blue. That is, there's no competitors. The definition of a blue ocean is there are no competitors. And it's thought that blue ocean strategy is generally around product differentiation. But product differentiation in the modern world is almost impossible. We actually have it at Connect and Sell, which is kind of funny that I say that it's almost impossible. But we're an example of where it's, I tell you what, it ain't easy to achieve product differentiation. And the way we've done it, uh, we've kind of stumbled into it. And then I happen to be kind of a fanatic about patents and know-how and learning how to do things that others aren't willing to do, quite frankly. And this is a dirty job. It's like, you know what, product differentiation, clean sewers, right? You'll have product differentiation in a hurry compared to people who are street sweepers. They have less. And the folks who are waiting tables have less yet. And the you know, the host or hostess in the restaurant has the least. There's not much product differentiation up there, but there sure is once you go down in the sewers because nobody wants to do it. And guess what? There's a lot of tricks to cleaning sewers. Once you learn how to do it, then the guy who doesn't want to do it isn't willing to learn how to do it, right? So that's the standard blue ocean theory is it's a product-led theory. But it turns out there's a universal theory of blue oceans that says, I don't need a whole blue ocean. Just give me 11 twelfths. 11 twelfths of the whole ocean being my blue is good enough for me. So all I have to do is travel in time to an earlier point in the consideration cycle for everybody who intrinsically needs my solution and go make those relationships happen. From a CEO perspective, it has profound financing implications. It means, especially if you don't want to give up control of your company, you've got to figure out how to finance from current sales while setting up for future sales, which you can only be assured of on a portfolio basis. That is, you, you don't know any specific thing's going to happen. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology. You'll load your best sales folks up with eight to ten times more live qualified conversations every single day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing how many tears were shed while watching Titanic kind of qualified. And we're back with Corey and Chris. Portfolio math is the only math in business. Anybody who tells you that they got some other kind of cool math is a charlatan or an idiot. There are charlatans saying I can control things that they can't control, or they're an idiot saying I can control things that I can't control, but I don't know I can't control them. Those are your two ends of the spectrum. When I first met Cheryl Turner, who was on one of our episodes, she came to the conclusion that I was either a charlatan or an idiot within the first probably minute and a half of me talking to her team at a primary intelligence at a test drive. 
10 minutes later, she came back in the room, made sure it was empty and said, I thought you were a charlatan or an idiot. But now I actually think that you guys are, that you have the truth there, right? Because she started talking to lots of people. So it was mutually exclusive, those terms that she tried to fuck. They are the, exactly. Charlatans and idiots, the, the, the Venn diagram has no intersection. Okay. They're like over here, right? They're just way apart from each other. And, and for those with only, a, a, you know, a, a seven years of community college education here, what do you mean by portfolio math, Chris? Well, portfolio math basically says this. In the face of ignorance, we need more bets. And so more smaller bets will yield more consistently on a risk-adjusted basis than a smaller number of sure things. The sure things are never as sure as you think. And a larger number of less sure things are more sure. And the math itself of portfolios is a big deal in that it's what I call multiplicative math. That is, your, your risk actually goes down as you multiply the risks of the individual elements of your portfolio. Mm-hmm. So your risk of one thing that's got, they call it all your eggs in one basket, except it's actually the worst case is one egg in one basket. And then the very worst is one egg with no basket. You're holding it in your hand. And then the very worst is one egg in one basket. What could go wrong, mm-hmm. right? And that's the, that is the, uh, I'll say, the charlatan's view of the world. What could go wrong? The idiot's view of the world, I'm just gonna do a bunch of stuff, see what happens. So the portfolio, whether you're an investor investing in a whole bunch of businesses or in a whole bunch of stocks or issues or whatever, or you're an investor, like a salesperson like Mark. Mark's an investor, right? What is he doing? He's investing his time because that's all he's got, right? I'm not accepting his money, sorry, Mark. Your money is no good here, right? But his time is good here. So he invests his time. So now the question is, in how many potential future deals at how many different stages? If they're all at the same stage, the risk is higher. If they're all at different stages, the risk is lower for a bunch of interesting reasons. One of which is fundamentally the risk is lower because they're in different stages and you have variety. The other of which is the slower ones represent an opportunity for Mark to learn more. So one thing we tend to ignore in sales is we learn more in long relationships than in short relationships. And so not only do we build trust, we build knowledge. Mark knows an awful lot about his largest potential customer right now. He's very patient. His largest potential customer happens to be a big company whose uh, headquarters has something to do with that flag behind you there. And that company moves at a certain pace and its U.S. operation moves at a different pace than that. And its various pieces have got to make individual decisions because of the way that their budgeting and allocation process works. And, 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 and so Mark needs to patiently wait. While he's waiting, he's learning because he keeps interacting, providing value, help, and keeps learning things as he goes along. So, When you play the long game in your portfolio, you're not only broad, but you're deep in time. You dominate the market earlier and more certainly. You actually know you'll dominate. We all show on this. Like, what do you do when you know you're going to dominate? Well, stop putting your top people on it. Go (laughs) have them go penetrate a new market because your portfolio of markets is what that you dominate is what reduces your risk of going out of business. This stuff is is evident and talked about among passive investors. And interestingly enough, when it comes to our time as salespeople, we are actually mostly passive investors. 
we're stuck in that position because we can't make anything happen. So what we have to do is engage in many places and let some things happen. The portfolio, when it's big enough, let something happen. I happen to be marrying somebody who is in her last now, how many days? What is this? The third, the last 27 days of her fiscal year. She carries a big quota. Yeah. In the, you know, something that starts with a B and has numbers after it, right? She doesn't have very many customers, a few, handful. She's pretty relaxed. She's going to go for a walk with me after this. We're going to go kayaking. Get another woman, I should say, get another woman who's in your life who has decided that you are neither a charlatan or a liar. So, well, if she has decided to Charlotte or an idiot, she's holding out. Oh, that's right. Because my piano playing is so appealing. You right. know, you never know. You know, yeah. it could be the barefoot running, but I don't think so. Yeah. So, so, so Mark, you know, jump in here because this goes to the depths, I think, of what you're about. Yeah, you said something really interesting. You know, you talk about portfolio math. I think people are going to jump right to, you know, my existing customers, my existing investments, right? And yeah, I've got some risks and some long shots and big and small and whatnot. And and what you're saying there, I think, is I deeply believe in you absolutely need to be running the top of the funnel as a portfolio as well. That's the game changer. You know, one of the things that I think is really important is the idea about the false negatives, and the false positives, right? We're so scared sometimes that it's important to explore with curiosity to not miss false negatives because we don't know what we don't know until we know it, right? And it takes time, to your point, to really discover more deeply you know, where they are and where they can fit in your portfolio. You know, manage, build a portfolio and service it but not just in your customer base, but in your prospect, in your relationship base. I think that's a gap that some people don't connect those two dots. When you look at this, Mark, from a producer, from a production perspective, and Chris, put your sales leader hat on. If I had to replicate this, oftentimes my investors aren't going to let me play the long ball. Right? They're not going to let me play this long game. No matter if I show them the portfolio math or not, right? Hey, they got they have bills, they want valuation, they see this company in the in the space getting X valuation, this one's exiting that you know Y multiple. How do you manage those those expectations or so and keep the eye on the long-term prize, which is again the market domination at many of these portfolios that we can get? Well, that had to be a question for me, because thank God Mark doesn't have to deal with investors <laughs> and that kind of crap. Right. So I'll, I'll take it first hand. You know, if you're going to run something, make a deal that allows you to succeed. I mean, you got to make a deal with the money and the money comes from two places. It comes from somebody writing a check and it comes from going out and selling stuff. And you've got to understand what their balance is, what that balance is. And you've got to figure out how to run uh, a, a market dominance play within the bounds of what the money will be uh, allowing, not comfortable with. The money is never comfortable with anything other than an instantaneous return that exceeds expectations. That's whether it's your own money or not. But if you're going to play, make sure you're playing on a field where you have a chance. I remember once I took a soccer team out on a field and we'd never lost. This was the bug squat team that kicked the ball out of bounds every single time they laid a foot on it. 
drove other teams crazy. They went from never being in a game to never losing a game. And finally, they're in a game they're threatened to lose. You know why? Because the Colorado Rapids practice field is tilted toward the south by about one degree. And when you're playing uphill, it's hard. It's really hard. So don't get in a situation where you're playing uphill in advance unless you like that kind of stuff and you're willing to eat the consequence. And the consequence might be that you have to sacrifice your time portfolio in favor of something else and you don't get to to dominate. The other thing is you divide your business immediately at the very beginning into two parts. And part one is the long play. That's what Mark is. He's our long play. Part two, which looks like part one, if you look at it by numbers, but it's not, is the, the financing play. And the way you run that is you have your most senior executives sell in the red ocean because your most senior executives can always sell. They can sell in any color ocean, red, blue, green, blood drenched, doesn't make any difference. These are the people who can go into battle that what I call, and I think I've mentioned this on the show, the sword fight in the dark room. If you are at that point in your career where you win every single sword fight in a dark room, then go win some for the company and bring in some cash so that everybody else can play a long game and you can do it without interference from the outside money. Right? So that's how you actually allow yourself to play the long game is don't ask your long game players to play the short game. You play the short game. This is one of the reasons CEOs should sell. I was talking to a CEO today, Dash Orr, and he said, you know, I like Larry Ellison's phrase, you know, if, if you're not creating a product or selling a product, what are you doing here? And that's one of those things that people sometimes take as Larry being macho, but what it really is, is Larry being smart. He's saying, in terms of our independence of action, our ability to execute strategy, we've got to make money today also. Mm-hmm. But my view is, don't waste your reps time. Your reps are your future. They're playing long games. Their portfolio can be much bigger than yours. But if you're a leader, you're a company leader, and you're not out there selling for gross profit contribution, that's what you sell for, then you're letting the team down because you're causing a situation or allowing a situation where outside money is going to control whether your market dominance team gets to run the long play that needs to be run. You know, the sword fight in the dark room is uh, not comfortable for everybody, but I guarantee you every senior person who runs a company knows how to do it. Sometimes they have to be thrown into the dark room a few times and come out, uh, you know, dripping and ask whose blood that is, right? Sometimes that's the way it is, but, you know, that's what we're good at. And so that's how you divide it up. It's super simple. It's super simple, but it's not often done. So in essence then, and uh, Mark, you can chime in on this, Right, uh, Chris, you're saying that you need folks like Mark on that wall as a hedge against getting diluted by having to go to the capital markets or go to the uh, other investor markets to get more capital. Mark's a hedge against that. And Mark, you have a CEO on the wall, right, who's a hedge to support you to continue to do what you're doing on the 11th, 12th of the market because his contribution helps bring in those margins that allow you to keep the lights on, pay the medical insurance, advise you time so you guys can live to fight another day. 
So I hear that as an organization, you need both those elements. If you just had a CEO who sold for margin and everybody in the short game in the red ocean, I, that's not very effective. Right. If you have all three components, you have a short-term team, you have a long-term deep pyramid uh, blue ocean team, and you have a mindset of a CEO, or like you have with Jonti as well, right, a VP of sales, who also contributes. And I guess in your case, you even have a chairman who contributes. We so, do. We, we're very fortunate. We have three senior executives who sell who sell a lot, but we're not, you know, it goes on the books as cash and revenue, but in my mind, it doesn't go there. Our contribution is financing. Yes. And what we're doing is maintaining independence of action. That's mm-hmm. our job is to maintain independent and maintain independence of action. The action is actually not our action. The action is Mark's action and his colleagues who are building that deep, deep portfolio over time and over accounts, and sometimes even over the edge of markets, where we'll, you know, it's like water splashing out of a out of a glass, right? You carry you carry the glass around. If it's pretty full, it's going to splash here and there. Every once in a while, you're going to splash over into another market, and you learn something. Mm-hmm. So that learning is taking place with Mark and Matt and Seth, and you know all these folks. We don't have a big team but it's a learning team. And as they execute, they're actually executing in another dimension. They're executing in deep time. Whereas my fellow executives and myself, so it's myself, it's Jonty and Sean, the three guys who keep the lights on, we're simply avoiding, it's not dilution of money. That's not interesting. It's dilution of purpose. We're avoiding dilution of purpose yes. by going out and you know, winning some sort of options. That's it, right? I mean, that provides us, the sales directors, with the ability to go out there and stay curious and be open-minded to discovering things in new markets and new customers that we normally wouldn't if we run a very flat playbook, right? We explore and talk to customers that you'd never think would be a good fit. And we learn this and we share this. So, so you're right, Chris, it, it frees us up to get out there and exponentially harvest learnings and markets and, and build portfolios that we otherwise wouldn't. We never wouldn't if we were governed to a, a playbook that was narrow. We get to go wide and that's fun. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, how do you taste blood um, in this world, right? Because as sales, sales guys and gals, right, sometimes we're wired where we want to ring the gong, right, every day, every week or so, end of month, end of quarter, and playing long ball and having a currency, an alternative currency, if you will, by building long-term relationships. Now, you see the reciprocal effect. You, you've seen them go the, the entire life cycle, so you know how the movie ends. But how do you maintain that level of motivation and uh, bloodlust along the way with the activities that you're doing? I'm a competitive person. I think our whole team has that aspect. So I pride myself to be on the top of the leaderboard metrically. But intrinsically, I mean, I drive a lot of value from that personally, right? So, I mean, that's part of it. That's it. And everybody here is kind of built that way, I believe. So that's a lot of fun. But I think it's more the curiosity factor. I really truly do, you know, Chris has talked about this. I do have that core belief that when I get on the phone 
that there's going to be value in, in a conversation that I can have with people. We're going to learn together, whether we ever do business together. And that's sort of my core belief throughout the sales cycle, whether it's the top of the funnel conversation, a discovery conversation, them getting the opportunity to experience one of our intensive test drive days, which is, which is the best day that you can have because you learn so much about them as people and their culture and their process. And I mean, those are the best days that we have here are test drive days. So for me, it's about getting there and having them have the experience. The rest takes care of itself. Yeah. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Subscribe.